Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon for Sunday, March 31st, 2019. This is part four of Pastor's Lenten series based on the devotional book, For God So Loved. Today, Pastor Marlon Betts looks at Luke 15, where we find the story commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Pastor examines the role of the father in the parable and compares him to our Heavenly Father. Let's listen to Pastor's message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. We're looking at Luke chapter 15. We have a good, good father. It's who he is. And he loves us. For God so loved the world. We've been on that theme for the series of Lent. I hope you've been enjoying the devotional book. Man, some of them women, they can preach. And they write, they preach. And uh, they're, they're doing a good job, doing a good job. Digging at the roots, you know, so you can produce, right? And dig down the roots, get you to surrender some things and get some things out of your life. Well, this passage of Scripture is uh, a very familiar one that they chose for, for today's uh, lesson. And, and the, the setting is the Pharisees are, are complaining that Jesus receives sinners. And he eats with them. I mean, wow, okay. So Jesus responds by telling them about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. That's the way we kind of look at it. And so we're looking at what is Jesus' response to the lost? How does God look at us and uh, so that's where we're at verse 11 let's stand together then jesus said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so the father divided to them his livelihood interesting interesting and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and this younger son began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and that person sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomachs with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, that little speech he had planned, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he didn't get to the end of the speech. The, son interrupt, the father interrupts him. The father said to him, to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put on a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to party. Now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing and so he called one of the servants and asked him, what these things meant. Servant said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the older brother was angry and would not go in. Their father's father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make friend, marry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed the fatted calf for him. The father said to him, son, you have always, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Thank you for this story. Describes how much you care about us. All of us. Whether we're the younger brother or the older brother. So Lord, speak to us today. And help us, Lord, to listen and to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So when we read this story, most of the time we focus on the prodigal son, right? Because all of us have strayed into sin by our own choosing, and we like the fact that there's a good ending to the story when we repent and come home. Amen. We've been there. Now, maybe not to the pig pen, but we've been to the goat pen or the sheep pen or some of the pens out there, right? Some of you may have gone all the way to the pig pen. I don't know where you were at, but you've been, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and you need forgiveness, and the story tells us God loves us and forgives us. So we love that part of the story. Uh, there's also the contrast here between the two brothers. Uh, in self-righteousness, we may have a tendency to look down on the person who took the sinful route while we stayed home and were a little bit more Christian than them, right? So now we, with our self-righteous attitudes, look down on the other person not understanding and seeing that our bad attitude is just as much a problem. Amen? We should be rejoicing that the guy from the pig pen gets saved, even though we only went to the sheep pen. And our bad attitude needs, needs some help. And then some of us may read this story now after years of living with Christ in discipleship and say, I'm grateful I'm neither of these brothers, right? I don't act like that one, and I don't like like that one. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So I hope that you can say that, that God has worked such a work in your life that you're no longer sinning and you're no longer carrying around the bad attitudes. 
towards those that do. But since it is Lent, a season that is supposed to be a time of repentance and growth, what if we were to focus not on the two sons, but on the Father instead? For wherever we are spiritually, wherever you are this morning, certainly we can come to our Father and He can help us repent of our biases and our weaknesses and our attitudes and our sinfulnesses if, wherever we are. And help us to get above those, repent, and then begin to grow stronger spiritually. That's what Lent's all about, isn't it? Wherever you are, improve. Don't look at the other person. Wherever you are, improve. Get better. Get closer to God. So when we look at the Father in this story, what do we see? The first thing is radical generosity. Radical generosity. That's what I see. Let's start with the younger brother's request. He says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. I was reading this week on this message that they'd given to me. It says that the younger son was telling his dad, I wish you were dead. I never thought about that before. Because asking for his inheritance was like saying, my life would be better without you. In Jewish society, it was expected that the dad would be in control of the estate while he was alive. So it would have been very shameful for a son to show up and ask for his inheritance prior to his father's death. It's like him saying, you're no longer important to me. I don't need you. I don't want you to wait until you die before I get my part. I wish you were dead now. Give me what I have coming to me. That's, that's a little more extreme than, than most of us would have looked at this and said, well, I just, want, I just want my 20 bucks and I'm gone. No, he was saying, I wish you were dead and then I could get a whole, my whole section. That's coming to me, my one-third. The oldest brother always got a double portion. Since there was only two brothers, one would have got, the older brother would get two-thirds, and this one would get one-third. So it would have been equally shameful, when you think about it that way, if not more so for the father to actually give the inheritance to his son. Because his son has a bad attitude. Give me what you want. I wish you were dead. And so for the, for the father to acknowledge that is like just going along. Well, okay, if you want me dead, I'll be dead. Here's your portion. And if you begin to carry that on out through society, what, this is a very bad precedent because they lived by handing down property to the children. What if all the children in that whole community would say, Oh, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my portion and let me go. Who then is going to take care of the property? Who then is going to take care of the women? Who then is going to farm the crops? Who then is going to herd the animals? Who then is going to be responsible for taking care of the community and, and let, the, let the thing continue in a cycle if all the sons are saying, give me what I want, I'm going to go to the towns and, and blow it. There would be nothing left. Everybody had that kind of attitude. 
So let me pause and point out that one of the most abused commandments today is not that one you're thinking about. Probably the most abused commandment today is honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. Honor your father and mother. Jesus even talked about this. He said it's the first command with promise. Paul writes about it in his list of sinful things that he says to stay away from. And he lists some pretty bad ones. One of them that he has there is disrespect to parents. In another case, he says disobedient to parents. We have an issue here to deal with, and that is, I don't like my parents. Parental respect or parental disrespect speaks loudly about the character of the child or teenager or even adult. In spite of shame involved in this request, the father complied. That's why I call this radical generosity. Begin to look at that he took all this disrespect and went a step beyond. He liquidated many of his assets over the next few days. Probably took him a while because of the farm. The farm is not about cash. The farm is about implements. The farm is about stock. The farm is about crops that are maybe yet to be harvested. It's not always about instant money. A lot of it is about assets. He may have had to sell some acreage. He may have had to sell some cows, uh, beef, he may have, or sheep, or whatever, whatever he had. He may have had to sell his, uh, some crops at, he, at a lesser price. He may have had to get rid of some things and, and, and go in the hole and, and so that he could give that son his third. Took him a little bit. Took that disrespect, that bad attitude toward him and said, you know what? I'm going to let him have what he wants. And so, I wouldn't have done it. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying this is, this is how far he went because he's a type of God. And how far is God willing to go and give you freedom to do the things that you want to do? Right? When he knows it's wrong for you to go out into a life of sin, and yet he lets you do it. That's a generous God. To disrespect him like that. So he liquidated many of his assets over the next few days and handled his son a backpack full of thousands of dollars in cash. This is radical generosity. In spite of the son essentially telling the father, I wish you were dead, the father granted the son his request. He divided to them his livelihood. So what was left belonged to the elder son. The rest, all liquidated and put into cash, he handed to him in a knapsack, a backpack, a whatever it was. He said, here you go. 
Here's one-third the value of everything that I own. Now, most parents learn about their children. So this dad, no doubt, knew that his son was a spender, not a saver. He no, no doubt knew that this, this was going to get wasted. And he was the one who, over the years, had worked to make this a successful farm. The dad had put his blood, sweat, and tears into this bag full of cash that he's given his son. Now think about this. And he never asked what he intended to do with the money, because he already knew. He gave him permission to waste it. I just keep thinking about God here. I just have to point out that God, our Father, has handed each of us a precious backpack full of thousands of days. And hundreds of decisions. And he's saying, here is your life. Do with it as you please. I am not going to force you to live the way I want you to live. I have a plan and a purpose. I have a farm for you to farm. Or I've got this for you to do. Whatever it may be. In their day, farming was a big thing. But God is saying, I've got all of this planned out for you. And I will give it to you. And you do with it whatever you want. Take my plan or toss it aside and go waste it, your life. And he knows when he hands it to us that all of us are going to go out there and waste some of God's precious gifts to us. All of us do a little bit. Some people just waste it their entire lives. Another day given to them by God. Some more resources given to them by God. Another blessing given to them by God. A child given to them by God. And doesn't it bother you that then these parents don't even feed the children? Doesn't it bother you? You know, here, God gives us this precious knapsack full of decisions and, and full of resources and full of love and full of blessings and, that we can give to others, and we waste it on ourselves in selfish, sinful living. And we neglect the most basic things in our society. And some people blow it and never come back home to the Father. I'm so grateful for children that get saved. They blow very little of it. I'm grateful for teens that get saved. They miss a whole lot of sin. I am grateful for young adults to get saved. Because they quit the sin business. <laughs> Amen. 
And I am amazed that God will give a senior adult a chance to get saved. After wasting years and years and years and years going against the purpose God has designed for their lives. And then he would still give them a chance. And my challenge is, if you're a child, a teen, young, in, in, in life, get Jesus. Because he's handed you this bag full of cash, and so to speak, of generous things in your life. And the sooner you give it back to God and find and follow his purpose for the life, the better off you're going to be, ladies and gentlemen. The better off you're going to be. Because the longer we live, the more regrets we have. And the more the old devil points them out to us. Get saved while you're young. <laughs> so here's this generosity of, of our father who just... Another thing that I can see in the generosity of this father is the way he treated his servants. Because when the son had wasted everything and was eating pig food, he remembered that his dad back home treated his servants better than the son was now being treated in his current situation. So my, my dad treats his servants better than what I'm living. That says a lot about the generosity of the dad. Maybe the famine the son was in had even stretched out to, the, to where the father was living. I don't know how extensive the famine was, but whatever it was, no one else wanted and cared for the son. All the money that he'd blown on his party friends, they didn't care about him. They didn't come back and help him out. And the son realized that if he went home and worked as a servant to his dad, he would be better off and better cared for than he was currently. For his father was known to be a generous boss by everyone who worked for him and everyone who knew him. Whenever you come back to God, you're going to find he's pretty generous. He restores the years that were taken and makes it as if God is a God of restoration. <laughs> he wipes those sins out as if they never happened and gives you a fresh start. So when you think of God, do you think about his radical generosity, handing out thousands of days, hundreds of decisions, allowing us to waste his resources again and again, and still taking care of his servants that come back to the home? That is the God I know and love and serve. He's a good, good father. And many of us, even today, are taking advantage of his graciousness. We take it for granted in the fact that we probably don't even bother to say thank you today. That's why we have Sundays for worship, to say thank you, Lord, once again, for being so good to me, being so gracious and so kind. The second thing we see in this father is extravagant love. Very obvious. Besides his generosity, Radical generosity. He's, he's got extravagant love. Verse 20 states, When the son was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's just the way they did it back then. They just plowed you over with love. The only way the dad dad could have seen his son coming, and many times this has been pointed out, you know this story, is that he was looking for him. Day after day after day, looking down the road. Oh, somebody's coming. Who is that? Oh, it's just the neighbor. Somebody's coming. Who is that? Oh, it's just the mailman. So the only way he could have seen him coming and run out and be the first one to greet him is because he was looking for him. And we don't know how long it took the, the son to squander the funds. Thousands of dollars. Hundreds of days. I don't know. And, and, and then finally get to that pig pen and finally get to the poverty and finally begin to figure out after he ate pig food for a while that this is not the best way to live and, and my father's servants are treated better. I don't know how long. We do know people in our lives we would describe as prodigals. And it can take years and decades and for them to hit rock bottom and then begin to deal with the issues of life and then to turn around and say, I'm going to make a change. This meant the father was potentially waiting and looking for his son for years. Literally years. And that love and compassion. How long have we been praying for that lost son or daughter? Don't give up, folks. Don't give up. Keep looking. Faith. Keep looking. Expecting. And even if it wasn't for years, the loss of his son and the grief that came to this good and loving parent would have made the weeks and months feel like a lifetime. Yet this dad kept looking. Kept watching. I wonder if our Heavenly Father... I don't wonder, I know that our Heavenly Father is longing and looking and caring for each one who is a sinner. He cares. Like we said last week, let's chop it down. No, let's give it another year. She's still out there. She is still out there. He's still out there. I love them. Give him another year. Right? Give him another chance. And when the father finally saw his son, he had compassion on him. The word compassion here in verse 20 is a strong word meaning to be moved in the inward parts. He was moved internally to the very core of his being to act in love toward that son. This compassion caused the father to what? Oh, I I think that's him. What did it say? He ran towards his son. We are not given an indication as to the age of the father. He may have been pushing a walker around by this time. 
it had been years, we don't know, all those years of being out in the field, doing it the hard way, not in the air-conditioned tractors we have now, but in the old-fashioned way, crippled all over, whatever it was, and he saw his son and ran, dropped it all. It's funny. Now, this just popped in my head, but I've been in the nursing home, and they'd bring in a band sometimes to play for those guys. I've seen them drop their little canes and whatever and get up and start. So where did that come from? And then when they get done, they grab their cane, go back over. And sit down. What was it? The word run here is used is the same word that would be used to describe an athlete in a race. He was running, not shuffling, not even jogging. He was as intent upon getting to his son as a runner is and getting to the goal and winning the race. This was his race. This is what he had been looking for for years. Maybe he was even practicing. He's out there in the field chasing a cow or two. He's probably, if that was my son, I got to get in shape. I don't know, but I know when he saw his son, he recognized the way he walked. He saw something about him. He took off, ladies and gentlemen. God ran to get to you. You take one step towards Jesus Christ, and God will run to get to you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And then he got a hold of him and laid a big old slobbery kiss. With whiskers and all. That was before toothpaste and mouthwash. Never mind the ratty hair of that boy. Never mind the unwashed body of that son. Never mind the tattered clothes, the embarrassment, the stench of the pig pen. No, that's my son. All he wanted to do was show his love to the lost child. Oh, I can't come back to Jesus because I stink. I can't come back home to the Father because I've sinned for so many years. I can't come back because I've wasted my life. I can't come back because you take one step towards Jesus, and guess what? God will take your stench and all. Wretched clothing and all. Messy hair and all. Bald-headed and all. He don't care. He wants you. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come home, ladies and gentlemen. He died for you to come home. 
If that's not an example of extravagant love of God, then I don't know what it is. Because when we come back to the foot of the cross, God runs to meet us, wrapping his arms of love around us, ignoring the stench of sin. He washes it away, tearing off our rags. He says, you can have new clothes. You can have a new life. You can have a new beginning. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome home, son. A relentless theme for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's love is extravagant. And it leads to the next thing we see in this father, and that is lavish forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness. We've seen his generosity. We've seen his compassion. Now we see his forgiveness. Because the son had a planned speech. Verses 18 and 19, all planned out. About having sinned and being unworthy to be a son. So please give me a spot on, this, on the farm as, as nothing more than a servant. And that's all I'm worthy of. And we go and kneel at an altar prayer. And oh God, I've just made a mess of my life. This life that you've given to me. I haven't followed your purpose or your plan. I've gone off and think I'm smarter than God. And I've done my own thing. And I've got into a big pig pen of sin. And a big mess of my life. And I stink. And, and I'm dirty. And I'm filthy. And, and God, if you could just clean up my toes, I'll feel better. If you just wash my hands, I'll feel better. God says, you know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to take you to the horse trough, and I'm going to strip off your rags, and I'm going to dunk you in. I'm going to get some lye soap, and I'm going to work it in, and your pores are going to come out. You're going to walk out of there glistening. I'm going to pour some head and shoulders all over you. (laughs) Woo! And you know that toenail fungus you got on there. We're going to work on that. And you know about that. (laughs) That athlete's feet and everything else you got going on. And you know that pile of garbage down in that hole called the navel. And them ears. That was my mom's favorite, right? Let me check them ears. You never did that as a mom, did you? Don't forget behind the ears. In fact, my mom's saying was she sent us off for our Saturday bath, whether we needed one or not. Don't forget your face, neck, and ears. Face, neck, and ears. We could say it so fast. Face, neck, and ears. Because she said it every time. Why? Because we forgot them every time. (laughs) You never see your face, neck, and ears. I mean, it's just, you can see everything else, but you can't see them when you're washing in the tub. Plus, it's more fun to play with your toys and do other things in there. The rest just kind of melts off as you're in there, you know. Where am I at? I'm lost. The father is washing the son, right? Or the servants are doing it. You can imagine the fun they had. 
Oh, my. So he starts in on the speech. Lord, I'm unworthy. I have sinned. Make me as a servant. And the father cuts him off for you and gets to that part and says, you know what? Servant, you go do this. Servant, you go do that. Servant, you go do this. And wow. He put the whole place busy. Right? He didn't even let him finish his speech. Fix up my son with a bath. Give him the best robe. Get him out. Get the family ring and new sandals and start cooking the feast for dinner and plan a party. We're gonna, in 30 minutes, we better have him ready to go because we're going to party. Because son's come home. My son's come home. My daughter's back. Dad didn't ask where he went, how he wasted his money, why he smelled like pigs. You know what? God's not going to ask you all those questions because he already knows. Dad knew. He didn't know the details. Even the elder brother knew. He spent his money on harlots and all this kind of wild living. They knew. They surmised. The stories were out there. Dad, I don't care. Wash him up. Bring him back home. Fix him up. He's my son. He's my son. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And when the brother showed up with the bad attitude, dad did not let the elder brother ruin the celebration because it was forgiveness, it was love, it was generosity. He let the elder brother know. He says, I still love you. Everything that's here is yours. When I die, it's all yours. The elder son blew his part. In reality, the younger son is probably just like a servant now. He's going to have to work for his brother. In reality, he is going to have a lesser place. In reality, the fact that he'd wasted his portion would come back to be a part of his problem. But for that day, (laughs) there was a party. For that day, there was a celebration. For that day, there was a son who came home. That day, there was a daughter who was back in the family. Even though there were consequences for all the sin, there still was a fact that he was welcomed into the house, and he was a part of the family again, and he was given the resources he needed to survive for the rest of his life and into eternity. That's part of the reason why I said, become a Christian when you're a child. You have less regrets. And when you become a teen, and when you become a young adult, the sooner you become a Christian, the better, because you have less regrets about the wasted years. The elder brother owned it all. The younger brother would just have to survive off of the compassion of the father. It was enough. 
He still loved him. He forgave him. So he said, elder brother, I love you. But I love my son that was lost as well. I love you both. Everything I have belongs to you. But my love belongs to both. And so he invites the grumpy son to join into the party celebrating the return of his lost sinful son. We don't know if he does. I hope that he did. I hope that the grumpy Christian celebrates when the sinner comes home. Right? In fact, get rid of the grumpiness and you can really celebrate. Now we don't know if he attended or not, but it really doesn't matter. The point is the dad forgave his prodigal son and did so in a lavish manner. His, his forgiveness was real. It was evident to all. Every servant knew. As they went out and burnt those old tattered clothes, as they talked in the back room about how much he stunk, as they, as they rubbed shampoo in his hair and cleaned up his toenails and did everything else that he needed to do to make him presentable for his party and did it in 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how long it took. <laughs> but tell you what, they knew boss loved his son. They knew it. They knew that the boss forgave his son. And they needed to do it as well. Radical generosity, extravagant love, lavish forgiveness. The whole point of Jesus' parable is to teach us that's how God cares for you. That's how God cares about you. That's how he cares for us. God erases our shame and feelings, feeling like the prodigal. We, we often focus so much on being lost that we become mired in our own unworthiness and feelings of shame. And some people stay there because they're ashamed. They're ashamed. They're ashamed. Don't get stuck there, folks. If you let him, God wants to remove those feelings from us. He accepts us home. He says, you're my child. I died for you. I've run to you. I've forgiven you. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. I don't care what you failed. What I care about is, what are you doing now with your life? Isn't that good? That God puts the past in the past and says, what are you doing now? Let's go forward. You and me, we can make it. Let's make it happen. Amen. So despite our failings, God is still generous. He bestows upon us blessings, maybe not of material wealth, but he's generous with his spiritual gifts to us. Amen. And, and he is compassionate. He seeks us out. And while he waits for us to return to him, he meets us finally down the road. And he runs towards us. And he runs and grabs us and says, thank you for coming back. And we should be thanking him. He loves, he forgives. He doesn't bring up our past misdeeds, but he forgives and forgets. I don't care. You, yeah, you smell like a pig pen. You must have been there. But I don't care. I forgive you. Let's go forward. Amen. 
God loves extravagantly. There's a celebration in heaven. It tells us every time someone gets saved, they throw a party. Can you imagine the angels up there partying, doing the flaws? Maybe their wings get in the way. Maybe they have to disco instead. I don't know. <sighs> and when they celebrate in heaven because we get saved, then God continues to work in our lives. He continues to guide us in our walk with him, supplying our needs, teaching us his will, helping us to grow. He is patient with us. We may fail again. Yet God continually watches and waits for us to come back. And this time, hopefully, we learn our lesson and come back sooner. And finally, we get to the point where we stop leaving him. Just stay in the house. Just stay at the yard. Just stay in the field. Just keep working for Jesus. Amen? You don't have to keep going to the pig pen to learn it's a pig pen. Wise up. Get smarter. Stay out of the pig pen. Amen. <laughs> and he teaches us so that we don't have to fail the same way over and over. And he helps us defeat Satan and helps us defeat sin. He teaches us how to say no. And he teaches us how to say yes to God's will and way for our life. <laughs> you know this story. <laughs> and Jesus will make you victorious. Our theme for Lent is God so loved. Our fasting and spiritual discipline during Lent is one way we can show God how much we love him in return. He loves us so much. What are we doing to love him in return? And so we really sacrifice hard and give up chocolate. We give up Mountain Dews. Right, weirdo? <laughs> or we give up whatever it is. Probably the hardest thing for me would be give up pizza. I don't know. Because I think pizza is what they're going to feed us in heaven. That's what I think. It's got everything there. I mean, it's got your bread. It's got your tomato sauce. It's got your vegetables. It's got your meat. It's got cheese. Dairy products, it's got it all there. God's going to feed us pizza at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I told you so. Wait till you get there. <laughs> so that's why I can't give it up. I got to keep, you know, eating it because that's, that's what we're going to have. I had pizza last night. Thank you, Jesus, for Little Caesars and Papa John's and Pizza Hut. That's where I was last night. Thin and crispy. Mm. All right. There's lots of pizza places around there waiting on you. So Lent is the way we can show God how much we love him in return. And I'm telling you, I'm just being kind of facetious there for a few minutes and a little humorous, the fact that whatever we give up is really not that big of a deal when we think of how much God gave up. And you say, well, it's half over now too late to start now. You still got three weeks to get ready for Easter. 
So give up what you can to show Jesus you love him. Amen. Let's do it. <laughs> because we do not need to live the shame of our past. We don't need to live in jealousy over the grace we see God bestow on others. We can build our lives on the promise that we follow God. And that God is a God of deep compassion, a God of deep love, a God of great mercy, a God of awesome grace, a God who forgives and forgives and forgives and forgets. <laughs> we can walk toward God as God runs toward us with an embrace of comfort and compassion. We don't need to even finish our speech of contrition before God begins to wrap us up in his arms. For he is a good father who loves us with complete abandon and just waiting to see me come back home and waiting to see you come back home. He loves you so much. You were created by your heavenly father to be a child of the king. Now, you listen to the devil, and you be a child of the pig pen. Oh, this is where everybody's at. This is so much fun. Yeah, yeah, flip blood all, uh, mud all over each other. And we have glorified the pig pen today. I don't care how many flashing lights you put on it. It's still a pig pen. Have you strayed away from home? This song came to me. So it's finishing the sermon. I've wandered far away from God. The paths of sin too long I've tried. Now I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord. I'll trust your love and believe your word. I'm coming home. My soul is sick, my heart is sore. My strength renew, my hope restore. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide your arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. That's what we're talking about today. A God of generous love inviting you to come home. As the praise team gets ready for family altar time, I just want to open up the altar and say, Jesus is calling you. Come home. There's another song. Calling, oh sinner, come home, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. You know, that's what God is doing. The Father is calling you about your wasted years and all that other stuff. And he says, just come on home. He's calling you. Jesus is calling you from across, inviting you into a relationship with him today. He wants you to come home. Let's pray. Let's seek him. 
Let's stand as we mind the Lord. Come and pray this morning. Maybe you're not a, needing Jesus to come into your heart, but you're going to pray about something else. Please come. If you want Jesus in your heart, come and pray. If you want Jesus to help you with a decision, come and pray. If you want Jesus to draw you closer to him, come and pray about it. If you've got an issue or a problem in your life that's taking you out of here going back to sin, come and pray about it. Amen? Let's just come and pray to Jesus. Talk to him about it today. Oh, Lord, your tender hands melting all my bitterness. Oh, you were thinking about things in your life that you just kind of let like to let go and maybe God's just saying this morning it's a good time to let go of it so just just take that thing imagine it in your hands and release it just turn your hands right out there palms down let it out of your life just let it go Lord I I just letting that thing go it's not important anymore it's not it's, it's what you've been asking me to give you so I'm just going to give it to you Lord that attitude or that habit or whatever it is, I just let go of it this morning. 
but you can't stop there. You got to turn your hands right side up and, and, and hold them up like a cup ready for the blessings of God to begin to flow in your life. And fill me, Lord, with you. Fill that emptiness and that void with the presence of Almighty God so that I can be just like Jesus today and be more and more like you. So fill me up, Lord. Fill my cup. I lift it up. Lord, quench the thirsting of our soul today. Lord, we hunger and thirst after God. We will be filled. So, Lord, today we're calling on you to take away the things that would hold us back and fill us up with the things that will drive us forward because we want to be examples and and we want to be disciples and we want to be followers of Jesus. So, Lord, that's what we're praying about today. Whatever it takes to be a follower of God, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to live my life. So, Lord, we're going forward filled up with more of God because we've released some of that other stuff that's no longer necessary in our lives. This is a good practice for Lent, to release some things in order to get more of you. Lord, we want to be prepared come Good Friday and Easter Sunday to accept all that God has for us. So, Lord, I pray that you just help us to get rid of all the things that slow us down. Thank you for running to us today, Lord. Thank you for hugging us today. Thank you for crying on us today, Lord. And, and, and thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for taking away the things that hold us and bind us and, and, um, and carry us back toward the world. And help us, Lord, now to be greater and stronger in Jesus. Make us, Lord, like you. And make us, Lord, holy. Make us pure. Make us righteous. And then, Lord, fill us with your love and grace that we can dispense it to others because it's so easy to judge others. Lord, we need to instead give them grace and mercy as well. Extend that hand of love to them. Lord, be in our church, be in our worship, be, Lord, in our activities of this week, and prepare us, Lord, each week to be better and and better and better so we can grow in you and we can become more like our master, more like Jesus. That's what you're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do here. Get all of us better like Jesus. Thank you. Help us as we worship you. We do thank you. We worship you. We lift you up. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-age kids and a children's church for elementary-age kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z.com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.